Real quick before we dive into this episode of the podcast, be sure to grab your free PDF copies of my latest books at frugal.show forward slash free. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Frugal Preneur Podcast. I am your host, Sarah St. John, and my guest today is a business and digital strategist for Fortune 500 corporations, brands, and celebrities, including Taylor Swift, Rihanna, MTV, NHL, Sony, Lionsgate, and more. He is also the author of One Million Followers and Hook Point. Welcome to the show, Brendan Kane. For having me, I appreciate it. Well, that's quite a, a resume you got going on there. Can you first tell us a little bit about your history, how you even got into working with Fortune 500 companies and celebrities? It started when I went to film school and I wanted to become a film producer. So showed up at film school and quickly realized they don't teach you anything about business there and figured really if I wanted to be on the business side of the entertainment industry, I needed to learn about business. So I started a few of my own internet companies while I was going to college just to learn and experiment. And then when I moved to LA to pursue a career in film, I started like everybody else at the bottom, making coffee, copies, deliveries, and was looking for that way to stand out, for my hook point to stand out and grab the attention of studio executives, directors, producers, and so on. And whenever they would ask me, well, why did you move to LA? What do you want to do? And I said, I wanted to produce films. I was just one of a million. I needed to find that effective hook point to stand out. And I just realized that at the studio I was working for, and really this is all studios, there was a sense of anxiety and stress that would come over the office when we finished a film because we invested tens of millions of dollars, sometimes more, to produce a single piece of content. And then we needed hundreds of millions of people around the world to know about this piece of content to generate a profit or break even to avoid losing money. So I just said, hey, I learned how to tap into these traffic sources online and building these internet companies. I'd be more than happy to help you craft some strategies of how we can tap into audiences at scale for a fraction of the cost that we were paying for television, print, and traditional advertising, and in some cases, no cost at all. So I quickly went from making coffee to starting a digital division for that studio. And through that, I just started getting connected in with that industry of entertainment and then beyond. That's really awesome how you just kind of started small and then went up from there, started as you said, like everybody does. Well, true. Yeah, Everybody has to start somewhere, especially in the entertainment industry. It's even Harvard MBAs would have to start in the mailroom. When you're starting out in that industry, in most industries, you have to work your way up. You mentioned hook point several times. What did you find to be your hook point and how does a person find their hook point? So the hook points I use are constantly evolving. They're constantly changing. And the core premises of a hook point is, does it solve a big enough problem? Does it solve a big enough pain point for the person or the people that you're trying to attract? So hook point as a framework works for whether you're trying to target one person or a hundred million people. And really my friend, Craig Clemens, who's one of the top copywriters in the world, he sold $2 billion worth of product through social media ads has puts it perfectly is like the minute that you can articulate somebody's greatest conscious pain point better than they can articulate it to themselves, you earn their trust and credibility. So the analogy I always say is every person listening to this, think about the thing that keeps you up at night. Your the most stressful thing in your daily life. And then imagine I come up to you on a street or I serve you an ad or send you an email or whatever that is and say, hey, I know you're really experiencing this pain point. I would love to help solve it for you. 
what are you going to say to that? You're going to be like, yeah, I want to learn more. So that's, I, I think the core, you know, and when you ask, what are my hook points? The first one was in the studios is, Hey, listen, I know you invested all this money into this film. And I know there's tremendous anxiety or stress that if this film doesn't do well, it's not going to be good for you or the company. I can help you tap into audiences around the world and let them know about this piece of content for the fraction of the cost of what we've been paying. In some cases, no cost at all. Can I help you with that? So that was one hook point. And then, you know, after the entertainment industry, I started building technology platforms. So I built the first ever influencer marketing platform on top of MySpace in like 2007, 2008. So I had to go into boardrooms and articulate the value of that. And that was really, I ended up licensing it to MTV. And really the value proposition to them was they were looking for ways to innovate, looking for ways to diversify their revenue sources. And then all the way up to my first book, One Million Followers, how I built a massive social audience in 30 days is I was tapping into a want of people of learning how to grow audiences. So hook points are ingrained in everything that we do at every level. Again, from a B2B to a B2C play, it's the most critical foundation to a success for us and for our clients. Yeah, and the a subtitle for that book, Hook Point, is How to Stand Out in Life and Online in a Three-Second World. When you refer to a three-second world, I guess you mean like when you're on social media, if you're scrolling, something has to hook you within three seconds for you to keep reading, to keep looking, watching, whatever. Yeah, so you've really got to look at the world that we live in today because the world has drastically changed since social media and the, the explosive growth of social media. And it's not just the impact of social media within social media, it's the impact of social media on the rest of the world. So a majority of marketing tactics or tactics to grab attention that were designed, and even a lot of companies still use it today, that were designed pre-social media don't work. Why is that the case? I can remember in 2005 when I started in social, MySpace hit its first million users, and that was a big thing. You fast forward today, there's over 4 billion people on social media pushing 200 billion messages into the world every day. So there is just so much noise out there. There's so much content put out into the world that it impacts your ability to grab your core audience's attention. So when we talk about a hook point, there's three core pillars to it. How do you grab attention in those first three seconds? Because if you don't, people will scroll past. They won't open your email. They won't open your LinkedIn message. They won't take a meeting with you. But it's not just about grabbing attention. I'm not talking about clickbait. You also have to hold that attention. You have to hold that attention because all the attention in the world with no substance doesn't mean anything. So we're not talking about tricking people or misleading people. You have to have a compelling story to back up the way that you grab that attention. And then the third core pillar is how do you monetize that attention? Because if you can't take that attention and turn it into business or revenue, then what's really the point? Now, does that mean that you have to sell every time you create a piece of content? No, but you have to have a fundamental business strategy in place that supports your efforts to grab and hold attention. Otherwise, it falls flat. So those three key pillars in grabbing attention, holding attention, and monetizing that attention really equates to how you drive revenue at scale and at the highest levels. So do you think that short form video like on TikTok is basically the new thing, at least right now, that that's the best way to grab attention is through short form videos? It's not just about grabbing attention because grabbing attention, like let's just say, you know, you go viral with a bunch of content that's not really relevant to your brand or relevant to the products or services that you're selling what's really the inherent value in it? 
So is there an opportunity with TikTok now? Yes, there is. The algorithms are much more favorable than the other platforms and it's on purpose. Instagram has made Instagram Reels more algorithmic friendly to compete against TikTok and YouTube is introduced YouTube Shorts to compete against that. So is TikTok an avenue to get in front of a lot of people? Yeah, it is. But what's the value of getting in front of those people? Like when we're working with some clients, we say focus on YouTube. That's not for every client because if you look at a, a view or a subscriber on YouTube, it's 10 times more valuable than a view or a follower on TikTok or Instagram. Why? Because they're consuming your content in a much longer form. Now, YouTube's a lot more difficult than TikTok or Instagram. So there's like trade-offs there. Like I never ever go into a meeting with a client and say to every client, oh, TikTok's the place to be. TikTok is where you have to go to grab attention. We work with B2B clients and we focus on like email outreach or pay-per-click advertising or LinkedIn outreach as well. So it's really highly dependent on what your specific goals and objectives are. Yeah, and you mentioned algorithms, which I think is one thing I've noticed about TikTok is that it does seem, you don't even have to follow someone to see stuff and it's always relevant to you and what you like. But in general, as far as algorithms go, do you have any tips on how to tap into an algorithm? Yeah, it's not easy, but it's very simple. So the algorithms really have one goal and one goal only, and that's user retention. There's a lot of myths about algorithms like pay to play. It's not the case. If that was the case, nobody would ever go viral. And you know, our team's done 60 billion views and well over 100 million followers, and it's 10x that with our partners as well. Uh, we would never be able to generate those types of metrics organically if the algorithms were all pay to play. So again, the, the fundamental goal of an algorithm is to retain a user for as long a period as possible with each session, because the longer they spend on the platform, the more ads they can serve, the more money they make. So at the end of the day, what do you have to do? You have to design content that they can see to the widest possible audience that holds their attention for as long as possible. So the first step is how do you grab that attention? How do you stop that scroll or how do you earn that click? For example, in like YouTube suggested video, because if you can't do that, that's the algorithms aren't going to push you to a lot of people because you've already proven that you can't hold attention because you can't stop them in the first three seconds. And then once you have their attention, how long can you hold it for that place to the retention? So those are the two things that you have to master. Again, it's not easy, but it's very simple. It's not about tricking the algorithms with hashtags, frequency, or any of those things. Did that stuff work at a period of time? Yes, maybe six, seven, or eight years ago. But again, the algorithms have billions and billions of pieces of content to choose from. And they're looking solely for content that they can send to as many people as possible that will hold their attention for as long as possible because that serves their underlying business goals. Those are good points. So with Facebook, for example, if you're posting something that has a link out of Facebook, then I guess Facebook probably wouldn't favor that post unless it's an ad that you're paying for because obviously it probably will have you click out to a sales page or whatever. But if it's just a post talking about something, if it involves any kind of, I guess, link outside of Facebook, and this might be true for, for other Instagram, whoever, is that a problem then? Well, it's a problem if people are clicking the link and not engaging with the content for a long period of time. I will say that all of the things that I'm talking about I don't have internal contacts at any of these companies. This is insights that we have gleaned of doing this for over 15 years 
and generating billions and billions of views and 100 million followers plus. So my perception would be if your content is grabbing attention and holding attention for a long period of time and it has a link in it, they're still going to push it. But if there's a link in the post, and I would say most of the time people's content is just not doing what we just talked about, those first two things. But maybe the content does grab attention, but people see the link and they click out. I think that that could potentially hurt your reach. So we have a viral content engineering process. And one of the, the, the core fundamental aspects of that process when we're training organizations is research. So most brands or content creators, when they're creating content, they either start with brand guidelines or they just jump to ideas. The problem with that is if you don't understand why others go viral, it's very unlikely that you yourself are going to go viral. Or if you do go viral once or twice, you're not going to be able to repeat it because you don't understand what was the performance driver behind that. So what we do is we study content all day long and we're actually cre creating a private mastermind around this of studying the market, understanding the nuances of what drives virality. And we look at, especially when we're working with clients, we don't just look at the competition. We also look at other content creators outside of their industry and figure out how can we apply those learnings of what the high performance drivers are, meaning what's causing it to go viral, but then also looking at the things that are detracting from that virality. And then we take that research and we create hypotheses around it. So we say, okay, this content creator is, is doing X. So my hypothesis is if we integrate this into our content, to give you an example, we were working with a, a female coach that's really brilliant today. And we were doing a reference of a psychologist, a clinical psychologist that's got like 3 million followers. And one of the performance drivers that we identified is in, in her video, she's creating a lot of intimacy. So she's leaning into her videos. Now she's doing a lot of other things right, but we just saw that as a small detail, a small nuanced detail that is aiding her performance. So we created that hypothesis. And now that we have that hypothesis, we can create the ideas around creating that intimacy, leaning into the content. And then we can test it with a single piece of content. And this is another problem where people go is they create a slate of content for weeks. They create content calendars and things, but that minimizes your ability to learn. So we, in our viral content engineering process, we do single production iteration, meaning we create one piece of content at a time so that when we create that piece of content, we can see, did our hypothesis hold true? If it did, then we can create more iterations in that path. If it didn't, then we have to go back to the research and see what did we miss? Was it our execution of our hypothesis? Or maybe that wasn't really the performance driver. That is really interesting. Do you have plans to write a book with like case studies and whatnot or what you've learned from those experiments? Yeah, it's what we've decided is we're creating a program we're launching in two weeks called Viral Trends, where each week our team, because our team is constantly doing this research. And we found even when we train people in viral content engineering, they don't do the research either because they're too busy. They don't want to. They're too lazy or whatever. So essentially every week, we're doing the research, we're breaking down the research, and then we give access to people that join that call recording of us breaking it down, the actual research sheet, and a report breaking down exactly the learnings from that. Because if I wrote a book today, it's like, and I've written two books, it's like, it takes a long time to write a book, A, and then changing a book is very difficult. Like, I've dri driven my publishers crazy 
because I would rewrite my book like every six months. And that's just not a good way to really educate the market. So that's where we're going to take that and give access to people because that's it's more granular and it's more rapid in terms of our ability to to educate the market. Yeah, that makes sense because probably any book on social media is going to change over time, but especially on viral, because that that probably changes even more often. That first book you have, One Million Followers, built a massive social following in less than 30 days. Can you go into that experiment and how that worked? Yeah. So first off, I didn't wake up one day and just say, I'm going to see if I can generate a million followers in 30 days. I knew I could do it. And the reason I knew I could do it is because I had built the systems over the course of three and a half years with clients. And I was testing content and understanding what did it really take to get people to opt into a, an account with no followers and somebody that wasn't on film or television. And I knew I could do it. But again, with a hook point, I had always wanted to write a book, but I didn't feel like I had a strong enough hook point. So the minute I knew I could do it, I called a literary agent that had represented over $5 billion worth of book sales. And I said, listen, I'm thinking about doing this. If I do this and turn it into a book, will you represent me and get me a publishing deal? And he said, yes. And then I tested it with other marketers that I knew that were really deep into marketing. I said, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Would this be interesting? Would you read this book? And they said, yes. So again, that's kind of like the reasoning behind it. In addition, I wanted to have well-rounded information not just my tactics, my strategies, because I think that there's a lot of experts in the world that say my way is the only way. And I kind of hate that. You know, the way that I learn is surrounding myself with the smartest possible people and learning from them and them learning from me. So I went off and interviewed some of the world's top experts that were friends or partners of mine that had done massive successes with social media and broke down their strategies and their perspectives also in social growth. Okay, awesome. And what do you, I guess none of us can predict the future, but what do you see with social media and the future? I mean, I know TikTok, like we mentioned, is really hot right now, but Clubhouse was for a minute and then it kind of phased out or is still there. But I guess, what do you see being the next thing? I mean, it's a difficult question to answer and it depends on the time frame that you're asking. Are you talking over the next three to five years? Are you talking over the next 10 to 15 years? It's kind of different answers for each. I mean, the way that I've played this game is I only invest in the big players that have proven their ability for long-term success. So Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, WhatsApp, and now TikTok. People think TikTok just came out of nowhere. I remember when it was musically like seven or eight years ago. So they are not successful because of luck. They are engineering their success. So to me is I always bet on those players and like Clubhouse, again, was a new platform. It was a really smart platform, but I chose not to invest a tremendous amount of time into it because why would I invest in something? And when I say invest, it doesn't necessarily mean monetary. It means time, energy, and focus. Why would I invest in something that is new, unproven, when Facebook's got 2 billion people on their platform, YouTube's got another 2 billion TikTok's got a billion, Instagram's got a billion, and they've been around for years and years and years. I can't tell you how many stories I've seen of Facebook over the years since the beginning. Facebook's going to die. Facebook's dying. And it doesn't because they're smart people. It's very different than what MySpace was creating. MySpace it wasn't the first because Friendster came before it. And there was either some smaller ones before, but they didn't have behavioral scientists 
on staff, user retention, and those things. They didn't have the fundamental business models in place. They didn't have the level of investment that these other companies are making. So a lot of people talk about the metaverse and things like that and where that's going. Again, I'm my attention isn't focused there because it hasn't been proven yet. I'm not saying it's not going to work. I just don't know what that timeline's going to be. But it's even like you look at Facebook, they're the biggest investor into that space. They're spending $10 billion a year. I'm just going to focus my hedging my bets against the people that have the money, have the resources, have the engineering talent, the, the psychologists on staff and all of that. Because it's, there's no way TikTok's going to disappear tomorrow. There's no way Facebook's going to disappear tomorrow. You, it just doesn't happen that fast. So people see that social media happens fast and relatively happens fast to cut to other industries. But it's not like these things happen overnight. Again, like TikTok is the hottest kid in the block. But they've been working on that thing for the longest time. Like that, it's not something new. Versus Clubhouse, that spike came and went. And even when that spike came, they weren't talking about huge numbers. That's just my personal perspective. It, I'm not saying it's the right perspective for everybody, but that's the way that I look at social. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, because I was going to ask, how do you decide where to spend your, your time and energy? Because everyone was like, oh, you got to get on Clubhouse and all that stuff. But like you said, it, it was brand new. TikTok's been around a while with a different name. And so I guess at what point do you decide or what platforms to really leverage the ones that have been around maybe at least five years? Again, it always starts with what's the business objective? What are we trying to do? What's the best platform to convey that with the resources that we have and, and our core skill set? That's how I start. I don't like it when people say you have to be on TikTok. You have to be on Clubhouse. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> Why do I have to be on that? Is there an opportunity? Absolutely. Does that mean it's the right opportunity for our business, for the resources that we have, the time that we have available? No, not necessarily. So that, to me, it always starts with the end goal of what is going to drive our business growth and then take the steps back. And that causes me stress sometimes too, is like, because we invest a lot of time in TikTok in terms of research and advisory, but we haven't done a lot for our business or my, my social channels because we just haven't had the time to do it. I'm not saying that it's not a good platform and I'm not saying it couldn't help our business grow, but we need to be hyper-focused on what is the growth goals of our business and what is the best way to maximize our time to do it. Because whenever we do something, we are going to engineer our success. We're not just going to go and say, oh, we're going to create a piece of content every day and just hope for the best. That's just not in our core DNA of the approach that we take. And when you were talking about Facebook, you're right. A lot of people say, oh, Facebook's going to disappear at some point, just like MySpace did. But you made good points about how they're different. So I guess when it comes to Facebook, though, I find that the reach isn't near what it used to be unless you're paying pay to play, unless you're paying for ads. Well, again, you're not playing to what the algorithms are looking for. Mm. I would say if you're playing to what the algorithms are looking for, Facebook has the most reach mm. probably out of, out of any other platform because of the size of it and the scale. TikTok definitely has good. But again, it's if you're not getting reached to your audience is because you're not playing to what the algorithms are looking for. So that's a problem with your content. Mm. And my concern is, you know, TikTok is more favorable today but the more people that get on it, the more content that gets published, ultimately that paradigm is going to shift. 
And if you're not setting a solid foundation for understanding what drives virality, you know, those performance drivers that drive it and also the performance drivers that detract from it, you're ultimately going to lose or burn out. And I saw the exact same thing happen in the beginning stages of YouTube because I I did the first ever influencer campaigns on YouTube in like 2006, 2007, before they were even called influencers. So I was a part of that initial creator culture. And there was a wave of influencers that started that once more competition got on the platform and the algorithms again had to shift for a retention-based thing, there were content creators that got it early that fell off the face of the planet because they didn't know what drove their success. They didn't know what drove success on those platforms. And thus they got burnt out because when they saw that dip in reach and engagement, they couldn't figure out how to get back up that hill. But the creators that did understand that, they excelled and thrived. The biggest influencer on the planet is Mr. Beast. He's got 200 million subscribers across his channels. And he was recently on Joe Rogan's podcast and Joe Rogan asked him, well, how did you get good at YouTube? Did you watch tutorials on YouTube? And he was like, no, what I did is I found four other crazy lunatics that all dropped out of high school. And for a thousand days straight, for 10 hours a day, we broke down the nuances of virality. What makes a good thumbnail? Comparing thousands of variants of thumbnails. What's a good pacing for a video? How many edits in a viral video? Well, how do you start off the first three seconds? And through that, again, they understood the performance drivers. And he said, after doing that mastermind, all of them at the time had like, maybe 20 or 30,000 subscribers. After that, they all blew up to, to millions of subscribers. And that's why Mr. Beast is the biggest influence in the world. And that's why he's not going to fall off because it's all ingrained in virality. And that's essentially why I have decided for our core focus for the business is to educate the market on the research side of things. We are the crazy lunatics that will spend all day analyzing this and demonstrating to you what are those nuanced details that's driving virality today. And then when it, if it shifts two weeks from now, six months from now, two years from now, it doesn't matter because our process is fundamentally baked in to that research process. So going back to your initial question of seeing on Facebook or any platform, I'm only reaching 1% of my audience, the algorithm suppressing my reach, it's a content problem. It's not that they're doing it on purpose. They, they, want, they want to send your content to as many people as possible. But with billions of pieces of content on their platform, they have to be cutthroat about it because if they start serving any of us, if you logged onto any of these apps right now and it was a piece of content you scroll past, a piece of content you scroll, and you can't find the stuff that you like, then what are you going to do? You're going to close the app and do something else. And if that happens over and over again, they lose you as a user and thus they lose revenue. Yeah, and I imagine for every platform, virality is differs too. Yes and no. The performance drivers definitely differ, but the core fundamentals of grabbing attention and holding attention is the same. Mm. That's what all the algorithms are looking for. And that's what they're going to continue to look for. Now, that length of retention is different from platform to platform. You look at YouTube, for example, you're playing in the eight to 12 minute range of retention. TikTok, one of my friends just hit 20 million followers. 
we broke down his most viewed video, which is 90 million views, and a, like an average video is about 5 million views. The retention graph on the 90 million view video was 27 seconds. The 5 million view was 21 seconds. So we're talking about a six second differential represented 85 million views in performance. But again, 27 seconds compared to eight to 12 minutes. It's a completely different game from that perspective. And again, the nuanced details, like a lot of people will take a TikTok video, post it to Instagram Reels and YouTube Shorts and the performance different from each one. Why? It, because it's the nuances of the content that you're competing against. It's the nuances of the user behavior. It's the nuances of just the ecosystem of the content that's being produced on those platforms. Yeah, that makes sense. Wow. A lot to think about. <laughs> I really appreciate your time today. And you, if people want to grab your books, well, they can go to your main website, brendanjkane.com or 1millionfollowers.com or hookpoint.com. I'll have links to all that in the show notes at thesarahstjohn.com forward slash BK. And that's for Brendan Kane, not Burger King. Was there anything else that you wanted to touch on that we hadn't? No, I think we covered a lot of ground. The thing is, people think virality is luck. It's not. It's engineered. People think that the algorithms are out to get them, to suppress the reach to pay for it. It's not the case. The algorithms want to push your content. You just have to demonstrate that your content is worth pushing to the masses. And I don't mean that from a content perspective. I mean that from a context perspective. Because mm. that's a big thing that we work with clients is we never change who a client is. We never change the story they want to tell or their product or service. We, we change the way it's contextualized so that, again, we can grab attention and hold attention long enough to demonstrate that value. Well, awesome. Well, I really appreciate your time today. It's been pretty eye-opening. And yeah, I definitely recommend people picking up those books and looking forward to checking out the, what was it, Viral Trends? Uh, yeah, we'll be launching that in a few weeks. If you go to my website, and there's a lot of free content on my website, but there's like a newsletter opt-in at the, the bottom of the page. You'll get added to our, our email list and we'll be launching it very shortly. All right. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. It's a pleasure to connect with you. Are you a frugalpreneur looking to connect with like-minded individuals? Join our community on Slack. Connect with fellow listeners, share your thoughts on episodes, engage in meaningful discussions, including money-saving tips and entrepreneurial insights, and help shape the future of the Frugalpreneur podcast. Plus, you can submit your questions in written or audio form to be featured on the show. Let's build a supportive space together. Join us now at frugal.show forward slash slack. See you on the inside.